tell you who's doing sneakers the best in the game right now. That's New Balance. The two-way V4, featuring this groundbreaking use of technology with fresh foam. It's called Fuel Cell, creating this combination that we love of rebound and cushioning. Fresh Foam offers unparalleled cushioning for maximum comfort your entire game from start to finish. The upper construction features this lightweight textile that reduces weight, which we all need, I know I do, while remaining supportive and breathable. Hard to find that combo. The two-way V4 gives you the tools that you need to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way V4 at newbalance.com. On this episode of This League... We're doing some coach talk. Is Steve Kerr committed to the Warriors tanking? Does Steve Nash know what he's doing in Brooklyn? We also get into the NBA's money grab that is the All-Star game, and we delve into more listener DMs. So without further ado, today is a day and a tale of two Steves. One homie is super pressed to the fucking max. And the other Steve seems to be not pressed at all. One guy is like, holy shit, I'm on the chopping block. And the other guy is like, you know what? We're thinking about contending in 2029. This is the world that we're living in. A tale of two Steves, a tale of two sons living in two vastly different headspaces. So let's start with the Warriors, right? Because why not? What is going on in Golden State? Nothing good. Nothing good. That's all I could say. I don't understand what's happening. It's like they want to go to the playoffs, but they don't want to go to the playoffs. Like, I'm upset. I want to see Steph Curry do Steph Curry things. This is what we are looking for, folks. Will he be Batman? And Steph is determined to show us that he is, and Steve Kerr is determined to keep that man down. (laughs) They have lost five Five games because Steve Kerr is fucking around and limiting Steph Curry's minutes in crunch time. If they won four out of those five games because it was tight, it was close, they're in third in the West. That's the facts. That is the case. He's just sitting them just at random times that are very important. Second quarter, fourth quarter. I don't know. That seems... That seems like those are moments that matter the most. Yeah, pretty important. Pretty important times. And so after an L, so they took an L on Monday night against the San Antonio Spurs that they should have won. And the media said, hey, Kerr, like, what's good? Uh, Why isn't Curry playing at some of the most crucial times in the game? And he was like, yeah, uh, that's part of our plan. (laughs) (laughs) We're not chasing. This guy said, we're not chasing wins. We're chasing longevity. What? We're focusing on keeping Steph fresh for the next, not three to five months, folks, but three to five years. I've never heard that in my entire life. We are not focused on winning games this season. Play the clip. I'm not interested in in grinding uh, through this season, which is already a very difficult season, given the uh, the COVID regulations and uh, just the nature of the games themselves. Uh, you know, these eerie, empty stadiums. Uh, this is, uh, for me, um, for our organization, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not throwing stuff out there for 40 minutes uh, to, to chase wins. we got another game tomorrow. Uh, 
we want we want Steph to be playing at a high level for many years. So we're going to stay very disciplined and try to keep him at that 34, 35 minute uh, mark. Oh my God, Marty! Tell me what you thought about that. I mean, I've never heard a professional coach of. Or it, not even just professional. I've never heard a coach of any kind say anything remotely close to that. Literally, just straight up admitting we're not trying to win games. That is the most absurd thing I have ever heard. We're not here to grind out wins. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna li- limit Steph to 35 minutes, no matter what. He can't ever play 40 minutes. I don't under, I don't I am so baffled by that statement. And you know what? Steph Curry is also baffled by that statement because in crunch time against the San Antonio Spurs, he ice grilled Steve Kerr for like 30 straight seconds like, "Are you going to put me into the game or not?" And it was like, "Or not." <laughs> <laughs> this is a problem. Please someone tell Steve Kerr why you play the game. Hello? No one's playing for longevity here, folks. How bad is it? You now have a coach that's just given up on his team, winning games. Mm-hmm. He's like, this year is an L. We're taking, we're just going to lose games on purpose. That's about as close to saying we're losing on purpose. You do not say that unless in your heart of hearts you know that you can't truly compete. What kind of entitled shit, five finals in a row kind of shit was that? Like, you know what? If we can't win it all, we're just not going to win it all. Like, what? That is that is absurd. This is a year-to-year sport, folks. We don't know if Klay Thompson's going to come back healthy next year. You are not certain that Steph Curry, after my conversation with the Light Years boys out in the Bay, you're not certain that Steph Curry is going to re-sign to a max contract. You don't know if you have him for the next three to five years. He hasn't signed on the dotted line yet. No one knows what's going to happen. You have to – I want to see Steph Curry 8 seed against the Lakers. That's what I want to see. Yeah, I'd love that. This is all part of their master plan. They are tanking. I have said it. They are tanking again, either for picks or to package picks with James Wiseman and get somebody that's on the trade block. Why else would you have Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins out there at the same time? If it wasn't to tank, there's no other explanation. The front office probably thought to themselves, listen, we have Andrew Wiggins and Oubre. We don't even need to try to tank. It'll just happen naturally. (laughs) (laughs) It's just going to happen. And then Curry decided, you know what? I've heard all the slander. I'm going to put on my best Batman cape, and I'm going to elevate this team to heights that no one could have ever foreseen. He started doing Curry things, and then, oh, my God, Oubre got his mind right, and he got hot, which he's prone to do. That boy can get hot. And then, all of a sudden, Andrew Wiggins is playing okay, and the front office is like, fuck. (laughs) What are we going to do now? Yep. We're not paying Oubre to drop 40. We're paying him to go two for 28 from three. I swear he wasn't this bad in Phoenix. <laughs> Him putting up buckets is the last thing we as the Warriors need. <laughs> Kerr's like, Draymond, I have a brilliant idea. These guys want to win, and we certainly do not. 
despite all of our failed plans, I think we can still pull this tanking thing off tonight. So let's break down the final 8.7 seconds of Monday night's game against the Spurs. So the Warriors are down by three. Ball at midcourt. The play should be what, Marty? The play should go to Steph Curry. Yeah, 100%. That should be the first thing. Get the ball in his hands. But you got to get Steph Curry free because they're locking him down. In order to do that, you usually set a screen. Draymond decides to set the sloppiest goddamn screen (laughs) I've ever seen in my whole life. (laughs) It was bad. And Curry can't get free, and so Draymond's now got the ball still. And with six seconds to go, he decides to pull his best impression of Logo Lillard and shoot from 40 with six full seconds left in the game. And, of course, it just barely, barely missed. Yeah. <laughs> it hit the backboard or <laughs> Slams the backboard, yeah. Slams the backboard, game over. It's almost like Steve Kerr feared overtime because he would have to give Steph Curry more minutes than he was planning to. How funny would it have been if he just drained it? That would have been incredible. I bet Steve Kerr would have been pissed. (laughs) So after the game, they asked Steve Kerr about Draymond, Praymond Green's shot. And his response was, you know, because they were like, yo, why did he shoot that? What what was he doing? And and he's like, well, they thought, Draymond thought that they, he was, you know, they were going to foul him. But, you know, the Spurs don't do that. And maybe I should have told them that. (laughs) He said, I maybe should have told the team that the Spurs never foul when you're down three. They're not going to send you to the free throw line. So him just chucking up the ball didn't make any damn sense. Steve Kerr, what do you mean? You should have told them that, maybe? Yeah. You played for Popovich. You coached for Popovich. You knew exactly (laughs) what he was about to do, and you just on purpose decided you weren't going to script that out for them. Timeout on the side. You got the got your little clipboard up, and you decide what? You're not going to tell him? Kerr has now gone from one of my favorite coaches in the league to maybe my least favorite coach in the league. What is he fucking doing? Not much. Not a whole lot. He's given up on winning. I've never heard of this in my – the more I think about it, the more outraged I get. Can you imagine him sitting Steph Curry in the fourth quarter of a game with the Warriors one game out in a play-in in the bubble? Does he limit the staff to 35 minutes in game three against the Lakers? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Here's the bottom line. In my opinion, Kerr knows that as long as LeBron James is in the West, they're not doing a goddamn thing. So he's just like, yo, we're not chasing wins as long as LeBron is in L.A. That's the longevity that he's talking about. We are currently looking into cryogenic options for Steph Curry and Clay <laughs> <laughs> until 2030. We're trying to find that, you know, that sweet spot between the time that LeBron James retires and the time that Bronny James becomes dominant. That period of time, that's when we're going to start to win again. Hopefully we've accumulated enough lottery picks that turn into something in the next eight years in order for us to be able to compete. Until then, we out. We're here to just, like, stay in the mix, not get blown out, but not really make the playoffs. So I may have to reconsider my statement with all of this to be said I am going to say this. Where I, I earlier said if Curry got to the Western Conference Finals, I would give him a cape. He would be Batman. But <laughs> if he can single-handedly undermine a fully orchestrated organizational tank led by Steve Kerr, which seems to be happening, and manage to drag this dog shit team into the playoffs all by himself, 
while you've got Draymond Green throwing up bricks from 40 feet at the end of games and Steve Kerr limiting his minutes? Give that man a cape. Steve Nash is pressed. He's so pressed. Listen, it's time to talk about Steve Nash, Marty. It's been coming for a long time. We are a Brooklyn Nets pod, and the Nets have been in the news every single day, it feels like. Mm -hmm. We've discussed them for nearly every show. And you know what? Credit to me, I haven't said a peep. Not one peep about <laughs> you know like I would say mm, okay. I haven't said as much of a peep as I really have wanted to. And that that ends right now. Yes it does. When is it time to say that the Nets and Steve Nash are in trouble, trouble? When? I mean, it probably is now. They're losing to some pretty terrible teams. Yeah, they're pretty much only losing to terrible yeah, teams. Yeah. <laughs> they are 4-8 and eight against sub-500 teams. Think that again to yourself. 4-8 and eight against teams sub-500. Eight of their 12 losses are against sub-500 teams. They can't win on the road. They can't win close games. Steve Nash, your boy, looks lost. They're yelling at each other during games. And they just still, majority of the time, can't play defense. I don't care about that, them putting the clamps on the Indiana Pacers in the third quarter when they only scored 12 points. I don't care about that. We're talking about the majority of the time, they just let you walk on through. Everyone is now blaming. It's like in vogue because James Harden is the target. Everyone's yep. blaming him. But who was the one going after DeAndre Jordan for missing his defensive assignments? That was James Harden. Yo, play D. D up. It's almost like, to me, this team as a whole really just doesn't give a fuck. A lot of things in flux. New coach, new players, COVID. Maybe we'll just chill. Turn it on when we want. Turn it off when we want. So that actually makes me wonder whether I should actually be worried at all. So you flip this stat, and then you become optimistic. They're 10-4 and four against winning teams. Wow. When they want to try, they try. Yeah, that one sounds pretty good. That one sounds good. They're not bad. They're apathetic. And so they can turn it on against a team like the Clippers and then lose to a team like the Pistons. That's just crazy. Mm-hmm. So what if they're the one seed, Marty? What if they play an eight? Are they going to give up two or three games to an eight seed? Like, would they rather be a four? Would they really be? Yeah, would they play like five and six? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, definitely interesting. I think this roster has just a shit ton of problems. Like, I mean, I know this is going to be a Nash segment, but there's no depth to this team at all. And there's really, besides those three guys and Joe Harris, there's really no shooters. Well, TLC's a shooter, but... There's no nobody interior presence-wise. Oh, yeah, that at all, no. I mean, the whole DeAndre Jordan being your starting center just never was He's recipe. sad to watch now, a it, little bit. It really is the, the ultimate in nepotism for someone who is... Well, it's almost like Steve Nash, actually. <laughs> Somebody who just does not belong there. Can we not and compare Steve Nash and DeAndre <laughs> Jordan, please? <laughs> so a fan DMs KD, and, and the fan like me is concerned. And the fan says, not going to lie, as a fan, this shit is embarrassing. He slides into, into uh -huh. KD's DMs, and yep. of course KD in KD fashion says, 
he responds. He, he's not like the rest of us who says block. He responds, shit's going to be I. Yep. And it's true, I think, with KD and Kyrie and Harden all deciding to try in synchrony. No COVID scares and a bubble. Shit just might be all right for them. But for Steve Nash, I'm not sure that it is going to be all right for him because, as one Twitter fan said it best, Steve Nash is currently getting paid. <laughs> He's currently getting paid for a courtside seat to Nets game. <laughs> He's just there. He's just there taking up space during the game. I love that you have to just sit through this. <laughs> You have to just it's, take it, it's it. It's fine. It's fine. You honestly haven't said anything I disagree with too much yet. During the game, the camera doesn't even pan to him because they know he's not doing shit and is irrelevant to the broadcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he's just the chief of communications for the Brooklyn Nets. Okay. He's standing up there on the podium to discuss why you just lost to another sub-500 team. With platitudes about how it's up to them. You know, it's manifest your destiny. Who do you want to be tomorrow? It starts today. (laughs) It's almost like this dude doesn't know what he's doing. Let's take a quick peek into the mind of a Hall of Famer, point guard, turned head coach, and his assessment of what went wrong against the Pistons. My message was... Here we go. Personal pride. Personal pride. Connectivity and coming together. Makes just sense. resistance. Like, we, we can't start the game down 10, be down 20 in the second half, um, expecting it to come easy. You know, this is professional sports. The other team is talented and capable, and we're shorthanded, we're small. We got to come out extremely sharp, extremely competitive, and we're the real fire. And it takes us getting down 20 to find that fire. Oh, man. It's almost like should someone should have told the Nets that the Pistons just took the Lakers to double overtime <laughs> and that Jeremy Grant is a problem. But, hey, that's on the players, right? It's only them that watches game film. He was hired because he was a two-time MVP-level point guard with a basketball IQ off the charts, and when shit goes wrong, he sounds like a high school coach worried about getting fired, talking about heart and resistance and team identity and pride. Try, men. Try harder. Compete. Anyone can say those words. That's just like a, a sentence of random you know, leadership buzzwords that you hear at some convention. You do not need a nine-time All-Star to spit buzzwords. What is he doing? I swear the only words missing were grit and mental toughness. He's a leader. That is not leadership. These are the words that you (laughs) see on an inspirational mini tear-away calendar sitting on your desk. You know the ones where it's like the guy like at the edge of a cliff and it's a sunset on a big rock and then you just see like bravery. That's like where Steve Nash is getting his post-game inspirational thoughts from. That's how he speaks. He speaks in those terms. Instead of prepping the nets for, I don't know, the things that you're supposed to be good at, you sound like you're taking words from Les Brown's Instagram. He wants to be basketball's version of Tony Robbins instead of being the next Eric Spolstra. And I tell you what, that is a problem. I don't know. I I don't know if he's watching games. Like, 
maybe he's – I don't know what he's doing. He should be watching games. But it sounds like maybe his league pass is still stuck in Manhattan Beach, and so all the Lakers games are blacked out. And so he didn't know that Jeremy <laughs> Grant took LeBron James to two overtimes. It is just baffling. Here is the sound currently coming from Sean Marks' office. <laughs> I'd like Someone find Jack Bauer for Steve Nash, please. This man's about to get fired. I said it now. This league, we are having an all-star game in Atlanta, a COVID hotspot in the middle of a fucking pandemic with fans. Not surprisingly, players are not super excited about it. In fact, I would say no one is excited about it. You cannot find a single positive statement about it on record, actually. (laughs) You have multiple players deciding, fuck it, I might get fined by the NBA, but I'm going to drag them for this terrible, terrible decision. De'Aaron Fox says, I'm not going to lie, I'm going to be brutally honest, This this is dumb. This is stupid. LeBron said, I have zero energy and zero excitement about playing this game. Even Giannis, who we know isn't exactly controversial, said, I have absolutely no enthusiasm about playing in this game. And of course, because we have a Yoda in the league who barely ever speaks, but when he does, it's always telling truths. The best one came from Kawhi, who is now the prophet of the NBA. Play the clip. It is what it is at this point. I mean, we all know why we're playing it. Uh, you know, it's, it's money on the line. It's an opportunity to make more money. But, um, I mean, just putting putting money over health right now. Pretty much. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're playing games now, and it's still a pandemic. Um, we're doing all these protocols and rules, so uh, it doesn't really surprise me. Wow. He said, it's money over health, so it really doesn't surprise me. Yikes. And you know it's bad when even the NBA coaches are jumping in the mix like, "Mm." Mike Malone's like, "Mm, personally, I would rather maybe kind of sort of want to stay with my family. This NBA season is packed as it is. Like, maybe we should just have a bye week. This seems like a bad, bad idea. It seems like almost every single person thinks this is a bad idea, except for one, Chris (laughs) Paul, the NBPA president. What did he say about this growing revolt? I've got it right here. He said, uh, I'm sure I'm not the only guy in the league that lives without their family. Hold on, pause. That is a shot. Keep going. It is. Uh, and so, guys, look at that break as an opportunity to see their families. It's a lot of different things going on right now, but you just hope that guys understand that decisions are being made, especially as far as the union has always got the full body of players in mind, but emotions happen. Guys have feelings, and you've got to be able to express them, and I respect that. Yes, the MBPA has the full body of players in mind. Oh, yes, the All-Star Game is the conduit to feed the blue-collar players in the league. Oh, yeah. This is for them. This isn't (laughs) for any other reason but for them. This is philanthropy in action. How dare Giannis try to take the food off the table of Lugens Dort? This is how we spread the wealth of the bench mob. 
the Mason Plumleys of the world wouldn't be able to eat if it wasn't for the NBA All-Star Game. If it wasn't for Quavo versus Jimmy Kimmel. Thank you, Chris Paul, for that needed perspective about why the All-Star Game is here in the middle of an unprecedented pandemic. I mean, how else is Dennis Smith Jr. going to fuck porn stars? I mean, without the All-Star Weekend. Big fact. Let's think about it. (laughs) He should have said that. First of all, what I'd like to say as Chris Paul is that James Harden is a personal friend of mine and former teammate, and he loves Atlanta, so we're doing this for him. (laughs) The NBA is just going to do anything to play this game. They, though, no matter what, have now been put on notice by one of the most likable players in Carl Anthony Towns, but also the most respected as it relates to this topic because he's been the most impacted by COVID. Yeah. So it started when he, he just lit them up, flames, fire, almost to the point where I was like, ooh, maybe they won't even have this. It started when Shams reported that Carl Anthony Towns was playing two nights ago, even though Kitty Cat had been out for a solid month mm-hmm. due to COVID complications. So he found out on Twitter he was playing against the Clippers and it appears to be it appeared to be a, a surprise to everyone, especially Carl Anthony Towns, who tweeted out, "This is news to me. Last time I checked, I was going to go through shoot around and see how I feel. Underlying conditions <laughs> and COVID don't mix well. Like, hey, uh, I'm up. Like, this is my decision. What do you mean? <laughs> so to top it off, they asked him after he played a full 31 minutes." hey, can you give us your take on You knew that they were about to, like, put gasoline on the fire. They're asking Carl Anthony Towns what his COVID take is on the All-Star game. And he says, I don't personally believe that there should be an All-Star game. And then there was a long, deadpan silence. And he says, but what do I know? What experience have I had with COVID? Yikes. Damn. For those who don't know, Carl Anthony Towns has lost – Seven members of his family to COVID, including his 58-year-old mom. His own experience put him out for a solid month. Missed 13 games due to those complications. He said, COVID did not treat me well whatsoever. I mean, I don't think it treats anyone well. A lot of scary nights. Through all the long nights, I was just not feeling well whatsoever. My vitals weren't good. And the decisions had to be made on my health. So, wow. The NBA is going to tell players like Carl Anthony Towns that they have to play in the middle of a pandemic. They're going to find players if they don't feel comfortable playing in an exhibition game. And as De'Aaron Fox said, the fine is quite hefty if you don't play. So the show is going to go on. I am personally sickened. Uh, and I am almost certain that this weekend is going to happen even though players think it's a terrible idea. But what's the craziest part is that fans and players, like no one gives a fuck about this game. No. No one. Mm -mm. No one's going to watch. Players don't give a shit. Fans do not give a shit. No one, frankly, in general, likes the All-Star game as a whole. Yeah, that's what I was – kind of saying like i don't give a shit about the all-star game like under normal circumstances where the actual game i like all-star saturday but the actual game who gives a fuck yeah it's just gonna be an opportunity for us to all shit talk how terrible it is why (laughs) it shouldn't be happening and probably some great memes in the process 
The dunk contest hasn't been relevant consistently in 20 years. It's been on life support. The only reason it's not completely dead is because of Zach Levine and Aaron, Aaron Gordon. Gordon. Yep. The Rising Stars game, the Taco Bell Skills Challenge, Rachel Demita versus Spice Adams crossing them up like, ah, like no one gets, no one cares about that. I like Rachel. Okay, okay. <laughs> you can find her on TikTok. You don't need a freaking All Star Weekend for this. An All Star game during COVID. This, folks, is a money grab. If you didn't know that the NBA did not care about the health and safety of their players. Because of the season happening the way that it has, you now know it with this exhibition game. It is sad where we are, money over health. Like I said last episode, 400 DMs, uh, all with very cogent, sort of flame-related NBA questions. So let's get into them. Got you. Okay, uh, number one, uh, are the Hornets ever going to be a reputable organization? <laughs> That's such a loaded question, isn't it? Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, I think that they are right now. What we're seeing is sort of, ah, you don't believe it? Uh, I mean, I'm excited to hear what you have to say. I guess reputable is sort of relative. I mean, they have been so bad Mm -hmm. for so long and such a disgrace and so embarrassing and throwing away their, their, like, player you would want to have for your dynasty. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I guess what you would ever call your your franchise player. Dynasty is way too loose of a term. You got rid of Kemba, and then everyone thought this would never, ever be anything. And then all of a sudden, you made some moves, right? You've got LaMelo now. Love. He, love. Yeah. He's opening up Gordon Hayward. That move was, I would say, stunning. Terry Rozier is balling. Devontae Graham doesn't have to play hero ball anymore. Now Miles Bridges is taking another step. I mean, they've got pieces. And on top of that, players that were busts have now become serviceable. P.J. Washington, Malik Monk have had tremendous games this season. Yeah, Monk played really well the other night, yeah. So you've got a team that is the NBA League Pass team of the year. So I would say that's reputable. That's much better than an embarrassment. So on a night-to-night basis, you talk about betting, this team's insane against the spread. You take them almost every single time besides two nights ago where it was just like, let's not talk about (laughs) that game. Uh I think what you're doing is recency bias, Marty. They've been great. (laughs) They've been great. I mean, they are a great league pass team, and if that's the bar, then yeah, they're reputable. Okay. Yeah. Let's move on then. I like it. Uh, Okay, so uh, next up we have, who would you rather have, De'Aaron Fox, Colin Sexton, or Ja Morant? What a great question, huh? That is good. I love these questions. Couldn't ask for more exciting players to compare. Mm Mm-hmm. Five years from now, I would say these three dudes are going to be, I don't know about faces of the league, but they're going to be the stars that people are talking about for sure. Every day, if you were to ask me this question, I would probably give you a different response. Yeah, totally. And you've got guys like Colin Sexton that he calls himself the young bull. And the, the issue with young bulls is they sometimes are bulls in a china shop and break a bunch of shit. <laughs> and that is, that's Colin Sexton. Some games, utterly unstoppable. And then some games, he has like 10 turnovers and 14 points. Like, not ideal. Jaw can be the same way. Times that he's the best player on the court, no matter who's up against him, doing things on both sides of the floor, incredibly gifted athletically, clutch. 
And then there's other games where it's like, yo, Ja, you are completely out of control. You just threw that ball into the stands to no one. Your teammates are not there. Okay. But Fox, Fox has, I don't know, a calmness, a coolness. Even when he's not playing well, he's never quite, I don't know, out of control that same way. He's uh, been in the league, obviously, longer. But I think right now, even though I changed my mind on recency bias, De'Aaron Fox is, like, much more consistent. Often just unguardable. I think the other night he had, like, 17 straight points in the final seven minutes of a game. Mm -hmm. Just takes completely over. I think that was against the Pelicans. Puts his team on his back. The Sacramento Kings are fun and winning mostly because of De'Aaron Fox. Sexton against the Nets is kind of like De'Aaron, but but De'Aaron does it much more often, I would say, and mm. in more high-pressured games than than those other two. Yeah, those good Fox games are really awesome. And they just keep coming uh-huh. more and more yeah. and more. Yeah. Okay, uh, switching to wings. Next up we have uh, Tatum or Doncic. You would consider Doncic a wing? Oh, I, I just read the first one. My bad. Okay, Tatum or Doncic? Because that was exactly what my point, where my point was going. Okay. <laughs> because I would take an elite wing over an elite point guard any day. I like them both. I really like Luca. I think there's a part of me that calls him a professional stat getter, like doesn't get buckets in all of the right moments. Um. But the truth is, I think for you to be a franchise that can go deep, you don't have to have you don't have to have like a top point guard anymore. And if you no. have a top point guard, that it does not mean you're going to go deep. Ask C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard. Like our our ceiling is now the Western Conference Finals, and that's about as good as it gets. So, I think you need an elite wing in order to go deep. It's the most rare position. If you had the money and you could spend it, I think you spend it on Tatum over Doncic. I think you could get like a Seth Curry and a Tatum and do much better than you could get a Doncic and some scrub on the wing. I think that's just facts. And on top of that, I would say that Tatum just has more skills than Luka does right now. He has a mid-range game. He can pull up with one dribble, two dribble. He has mid-range, step back. He's a better defender right now. We've seen Tatum be the best player on a team that can go deep. We've seen him take LeBron James to the brink seven games. I think Tatum is probably a better tone setter. I don't know. I like Luka. He he has flashes, but uh, but to me – it's just not close, really. I know this is going to get me flamed. This is one of those things where it's like, <laughs> oh, Trista doesn't watch basketball. Oh, this girl, why is she talking about sports? Ah. And it's like, no, like this is a cogent fucking argument. Jason Tatum's a top four player as a wing and a top ten player overall. I don't know if I could say the same about Luka. And on top of that, on top of that, don't want to fat shame, don't want to fat shame, but Luka comes into camp fluffy. I've never seen that out of Jason Tatum. So that gives me some concerns in terms of Luca's work ethic long term overall as well. Nice. You don't like what do you think? I probably agree with you right now. Like now you have to take Tatum. Luca has shown some things this year that are kind of red flags. I still 
honestly, if you said take one now and start a team with, I think I'm going Luca. I think I'm taking the home run swing. Yeah, he has a lot of upside. Yeah. He ha- I mean, he his sky's the limit upside, but I am a cynic, uh-huh. and I take a sure thing every time. And I think Tatum is a sure thing. I would love for him to be bad so people would stop making fun of us for not drafting him. That'd be great. You got Aiton instead of him? Uh-huh, yeah. Who's mm-hmm. Aiton? Yeah. I like that. Tr- I like that more. I, I, I like it a lot lately. <laughs> okay, so uh, next one is, uh, should the Raptors trade Lowry? And then another question, Lowry to the Heat, question mark. If the Raptors were smart, they'd trade Lowry yesterday. Yeah. It's over uh-huh. in in Tampa Bay, we'll call it. <laughs> it's over in Tampa Bay slash Toronto. They are not going anywhere. They are obviously not going to contend. Things are not working. Kyle Lowry's making a shitload of money. The Heat are in a death spiral. So I would say Kyle Lowry to the Heat makes a lot of sense. He has one more year after this on his contract. He is perfect fit for the Heat culture. Great Pat Riley guy. Like, yeah. Kyle Lowry is a hard nose. Totally. Like, does the little things. Loves to work. Loves to take a charge. That is him. And uh, Dragic is just, I don't, I don't know where he is. Yeah. His ankle, his leg, his arm. I don't know. I think I think we've seen the end. I think he's what he's thirty something. He's he's old, which he's is weird to me. Old yeah. <laughs> man, as a former son, he is old. I think Riley, you take that deal. The Heat are not particularly interested in paying a lot of money to any particular player, but for a year and change, I think they would. I think that they automatically become much better with Kyle Lowry in the mix. And Jimmy Butler is should not be expected to pull this team out of the depths of hell when they only have like seven or eight guys through the COVID protocol at any given time. So <laughs> yeah, I think I think if you could get to the finals again or at least like have a reasonable shot to, you do that now. And Kyle Lowry already put his home up for sale in Toronto, so I think he knows that the tea leaves are there as well. <laughs> Okay, uh, do you see the Cavs as a playoff team within three years? And then this guy said, big fan, love the show. Thank you. Thank you. That's such a nice thing to say. Too many <laughs> trolls out there. So good news, bad news in Cleveland. The bad news is Kevin Love is making a lot of money, and he's locked up until the end of time. He's locked up till 2024? I think so. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Yep. Larry Nance Jr. also locked up till 2024. Not players that are, we'll call it, additive to a franchise. (laughs) (laughs) So they're kind of in a tough spot, but the good news is uh, Drummond comes off at the end of this year, and he's making $28 million. And then you also have some scrap change. So there's like three other guys that come off the books. You have like $37, $38 million to spend. I think they could... The way that I think that they become a playoff team within three years is this year they go after Oladipo. You you pay him twenty something million. Okay. You have another ten million to spend. You've got Serge Ibaka making ten and change. If you had Serge Ibaka, Victor Oladipo, Sexland, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, that is a playoff team for sure. Yeah, and then Kevin Love. After he has his honeymoon, he gets healthy, and he starts doing things. I think absolutely that's a seven-seed, eight-seed team. Yeah. I really like the way Jared Allen's playing for him, too. 
Yeah, I wonder. He comes off the books, too. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they're going to keep him or what they're going to do. Yeah. He would be a great a player to keep around. Um, so, yeah, I would say that team with that roster, I don't know if you can attract that level of talent to Cleveland. That's tough. But it would be fun times in Cleveland if that were to happen. Fun times in Cleveland today. I just wanted Cleveland. to add this in. Come on down to Cleveland town, everyone. Come and look this should be their pitch to Serge Ibaka. Buy some food that's prepared near the street. <laughs> okay. Well, that's all the time that we have for the This League podcast. Please subscribe. Please rate. Please review on Apple and on Spotify. Also, please buy some hoodies. They are fire. Makes a huge difference. Um, they are on sale at the Barstool store. Thank you again for listening. Uh, please follow us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Twitter. TikTok is going crazy right now, folks. Get into the conversation. Uh, we will be back Monday afternoon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.